Hello and welcome to Las Blancas podcast. It has been a long time since we've recorded. Kind of went quiet in the off season, had a bunch of stuff going on. I personally was at the Euros and I know Grant has a full-time job and everything. Yash was doing his own coverage, but the regular season is is upon us at this point. We've gone through Real Madrid Femenino's preseason, four matches, four victories. Now we're going to play the Champions League qualifiers. It's time to come back. It's time to give you guys a big preview of what's to come and also kind of a review of a little bit of what's happened these last couple of months. I, your host, Omarvin, am delighted to be joined by Grant Little. Seems tougher and tougher to get you on the pod, but you're back, man. And then obviously by our new regular, Yash Thakur. First of all, Grant, how are you doing? Doing well. Excited to, to talk about this preseason and some of the stuff leading into you know, another regular season is kind of crazy that this is going to be what our, our third season doing this already. It seems like we just started not that long ago. <laughs> it's been a blur since then. Yash, how's it going, my man? Yeah, I mean, I'm very happy to be doing this. Uh, actually, I really miss not doing the pod for some reason, even though I was initially like not very high on getting on the pod and speaking my thoughts, but I really miss this. And yeah, with everything that has happened in the preseason and leading up to the last season starts like in just a week now with the UWCL qualifiers and stuff. It's been exciting stuff, a lot to talk about. So yeah, let's get into it. For the listeners, just uh, a quick running order, I'd say, of what we're going to talk about. So we're going to go through the preseason games, not game by game, really more about bigger themes, key performers, stuff like that, because it is preseason. Then we'll get to the new signings. So we will talk about Weir, Toledi, et cetera, how they performed in preseason, what they can offer us, that kind of stuff. So this podcast will act as kind of also a discussion about the signings and analysis of the signings. Then We'll move on to talk about the El Confidencial report on uh, Ariana Arias and kind of what was alleged there and uh, Kike Marin and, and that whole thing. Then we'll get into all of the mess that's been happening with the league. You, you know how it is, right? When Las Blancas comes back and we've been out for a while, there's a lot of bullshit <laughs> that, that would have gone on that we've got to go through and cover. And then just some little other things at the end about the, uh, the updates to the Real Madrid website and, and jerseys and stuff like that. So we start off with preseason. And as I said, four victories in four. So first, it was a 3-1 win versus Osasuna in the Copa Sentimiento, the name of the preseason cup. And that, when we won that, we progressed to the final, I guess, versus Real Sociedad, which we won 3-0. And then we had a separate preseason kind of tour, I guess you can say, in the Czech Republic, where we defeated Slavia Praga 2-0, um, and then we beat uh, Sparta Praha 1-0. Josh, we'll kick this off to you. I know you're, you're going to have a ton to say, but what would you say are some of the biggest themes from preseason, the most notable things that, that we can take away from these four games? Yeah, so a very, very positive Preseason, I would say. First of all, like four wins out of four, 
started on a very good note new signings settling in quite good already contributing as well so like there's no kind of settling period for these signs and once we like once you get to see the name we have signed like carolyn weird toletti naomi feller like you expect these players to quickly come in and deliver as well and that is what we have seen uh, in terms of the big themes that we uh, get, got to saw like uh, first was like esther is still the heart of our attack for most parts because uh, we saw naikari being played up front we saw both of them being played uh, in a front two as well so that is the thing like uh, the attack really just likes up when esther is there because she does a lot like she she drops off she picks up the ball deep she then spreads it out she she is always trying to get on the ball so that has been a theme that has continued from previous season one major theme that uh, that really stood out was our pressing like it's not the most well structured press that we have been executing in the preseason and it's just four games and players are getting up to speed that's the caveat here but the chances that we were able to generate throughout the preseason games one of the common theme was we were trying to get uh, turnovers high up the pitch and then t- turning them into shots so that was uh, really good to see uh, in terms of then uh, what we got to saw, like in in the last part that we discussed who would go, who is going to have a breakout season and given the recent performances by uh, lucia rodriguez on the right back i think like she she has set the tone for the season to come and uh she might be a really crucial she should be a really crucial player for us moving forward and we saw a glimpse of what she could do olga hasn't skipped a beat uh, ever since last season ever since those classico games she is still as as important and as explosive as ever so these are some of the points about players and some of the tactical stuff in terms of like team structure and stuff i don't think like there there was any major changes per se we are playing a 433 i think that is what we are going to play moving forward or a 4231 basically with probably uh, i think we'll talk about what what are the viable options but i think it will be teresa and toletti in the double pivot which we are playing as a number 10 so not not huge changes in terms of how we are positioning our wingers uh, as well wingers are still staying wide and trying to st- stretch the field full backs are providing the support on the overlap so not major changes and one wouldn't expect that in four games either but yeah i mean positive start we have, we have been scoring goals and most of our goals and chances have come from those turnovers which has been welcome change i would say brent i know it's been a little tougher for you to watch all these games but from what you were able to see what are some of your takeaways yeah i completely agree with yash about the defensive tenacity in the pressing i thought it was really good i think that you know when you when Caroline Weir and Esther are pressing as the front two, it's been it's been really good. And I think the midfield and the center backs have done a really good job of stepping up and intercepting passes and creating those transitional moments. I think, you know, I only watched the first two matches of the Copa Sentimiento, so I didn't see the the Czech Republic tournament. But just looking at the score lines, we've we've given up one goal and it was off a penalty. I know that there were some chances that we conceded in the Czech Republic tournament, but I think that's super promising. And also that we scored multiple goals in all of the games, except one. I felt like there was a lot more variance in the way that we were attacking. Obviously we mentioned winning the ball back through our press, but I also thought that 
we had a good variance of going out wide, slowing it down, swinging the point of attack, going centrally with some of these passes with Esther making those runs, Beller and Athenea out wide. I liked to see kind of the balance of the attack because I think we've talked a lot about how in the past we've been over-reliant on one wing or over-reliant on direct balls or whatever it may be. Like I felt like we had a lot more variance and it was a lot harder to predict where the goals are going to come from and how we're going to be able to create those chances. So just to quickly run through the list of goal scores in preseason, just do it game by game to make it simpler. So we're actually open the scoring, not an official official goal, but you could say she scored the first goal of the season if you extend and, and include these games. Then Naikari scored, although really like that was an own goal, but I like how just everyone collectively just decided we were going to give it to her. And I don't think anyone has a problem with that. Susa was the third goal scorer versus Asasuna. And then versus Asasuna is actually the only goal we conceded um, where Alexia Jr. scored a penalty in the 58th minute. And then versus Real Sociedad, Esther scored, Weir scored again, and Rocio scored versus Slavia Praha. Again, Esther and, and Weir were the two on the score sheet. And then versus Sparta Praha, no Real Madrid player actually scored. It was an own goal by uh, a Sparta player. So I think both of you have basically already kind of touched on two of the main things that I'm taking away from preseason. The number one thing being that the high press was our biggest offensive tool in these games, right? Like they not only led to the vast majority of our chances, they led to the vast majority of the goals that we ended up scoring. And the only time the high press looked off was versus Sparta Praha. And that was our worst offensive performance of preseason. I don't think that's a coincidence. I mean, I think there's still a lot of work that needs to happen in possession. That's not something that's just going to happen overnight. That's going to happen in four games as the team is working itself back into fitness. But I think it's just representative that there is more work that needs to be done when it comes to that. And it is telling that when we weren't able to generate those, those high turnovers, our performances looked, our, our offensive performance looked a bit dry. Now, granted, that lineup we have versus Sparta Praha was probably our most initial experimental lineup. It had Paula Partido, an, an academy talent starting. It didn't have Weir in the 11 initially, right? So you can say that that was part of it. And definitely when the substitutions came on in the second half, there were like four or five substitutions that came on together. Real Madrid improved a little bit, but I, I do think the press was a big part of it. I know Yash in his little recap mentioned there, there was some disconnect in the way that we were applying it. But also I think Sparta was, interestingly enough, probably the team that just played through pressure the best, right? I, I thought they were actually quite competent on the ball and provided us a good test that way. And that's the thing with preseason, right? There's a lot of you know, variables and factors that, that have to make you be cautious about any of the statements you're, you're making. For example, versus Real Sociedad, they had like half the team missing four or five academy players where we're in the 11 or B team players win the 11 or something like that. And we had a very, very easy time. Whereas last season in preseason, we remember that Real Sociedad defeat. It wasn't super pleasant. Misa Cardona were, were famously not, not that happy. 
So, yeah, I mean, I don't know if we go into this new season just thinking, wow, we're, we're going to smack the Associate when we face them next. But it, it, it was nice to win four and four. And I do think the fact that the high press is so key to offensive chances does clock with things we've seen in the past with Real Madrid. And I do think that while it may make us think, all right, well, where are the solutions in possession coming? I do think we should also see that as, as, as a really big positive because I think based on the profiles of this team, you know, with, with the type of players we have in attack, I think they're very transition-based. If we can really implement a consistent high-press system game to game, that could be a path forward to just upping our offensive potential a little bit and leading to easier goals. And we have the players to press too, especially when you add someone like Toledi and into that midfield and we're joining up front with Esther to press up top. Like that's actually a very solid spine of players through the middle to press. And we've always had hardworking players out wide. So that that's like the main key thing I'm taking away. The second one was that in all of these games, we start off with a 4-3-3 formation. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that that's what Toril is going to go with. But I just thought that coming into this, like we were set in a 4 2 3 1, basically, right? And that Weir would be the number 10, and that you have a Toletti Zornoza double pivot, reviving what we'd seen at Levante. And it was very much a 4 3 3 in the first halves of all of these games. And then Toril went and changed it up, moved to different looks, wanted to see what the 4 2 3 1 and stuff looked like. And all of that was quite interesting. But the fact that we went 4 3 3 to me, it really stood out four times in a row. It told me Toril really wants to see what, what this could look like. Maybe that could be our main formation going into the Champions League qualifier and beyond. And I think that's quite relevant because the problem we've talked about in the double pivot repeatedly is how do we generate those overloads and build up, especially when in the general formation, the wingers are so wide, who is occupying space between the lines, who is doing that work besides one of the forwards. And we've talked about having underloads up front. I think something we saw, especially with Weir in that advanced left central midfield role, was we ended up having two players who could push up on either side of the striker and just provide a little more dynamism and a little more. I think that's kind of the variety that Brent was talking about, right, in, in, in what we were doing to just provide us maybe not a grand fix in possession, but, but something more. And I do think it is worth considering this going forward as a real option, though I think the most promising thing, and I'll quickly hand this off because I think this is Grant's moment, but I think the fact that Tere arguably was the best player in preseason, I know people will say where, and I, I think that's fine. She was obviously very good, but I think Tere was really the player who I, who I stepped back and was like, wow, like she looked really good. And we, we've known for a long time that Tere could play this kind of role. When Osnar was coaching, we kind of made arguments, right? Should Maite and Tere be switched? And I think ever since that switch had been made under Toril, Tere has proved time and time and again that, yeah, she's quite suited to playing that role. And now we're seeing her for the first time in a Real Madrid shirt, properly playing as a single pivot. And defensively, she was fine. But what I liked the most was as she moved into the final third, she added a level of you know, incisiveness with her vertical passing that just unlocked options for us going forward. And if she can be that player for us, because again, we do lack a quote unquote true defensive midfielder, then that really opens up the possibilities for the 4-3-3 and playing Toledi in arguably her best position as a box-to-box 
interior. And we're, in my opinion, being like an advanced attacking eight would be her best position. So Grant, just say whatever you want to say about Ede because she has been great. Yeah, and I think we all know what she can do when she's dictating play from that six role, whether it's like playing those crossfield switches, setting the tempo, getting players involved, stitching together the attack. But I think, especially in the Asasuna game, you saw her progressive passing and her incisive passing, like you said, take a step up. Like I don't know if we've seen that with the same consistency that we saw in this preseason where she was able to get the team up and then just playing really, really smart, incisive balls to Esther through the back line, through Weir making those late runs. I thought that she was so, so good. And when you have someone like that, also alongside Caroline Weir and Sandy Coletti, you've got three midfielders who can really split up a defense, combine, but then also play that final pass through the central channels that we've kind of lacked in the past. And it was just a really, really promising preseason for her. I mean, I've always been super, super high, but I was a little shocked just by how frequently she was able to split the defense with those balls throughout preseason. I think the thing with Teddy is she really thrives when play is in front of her and she can see her options and, and make decisions. Not that she's bad in tight spaces or back to goal. I mean, she certainly had her moments there, but I think, that just is more of my face thing, right? Like weaving in and out of tight spaces, you know, short, you know, link up, that type of thing. Where, whereas like Tede can do that, but if you put her in a position where the entire field of view is in front of her, she can make those longer passes on the ground that just really clicks for her. And she starts to get into the game and control the tempo. Obviously, my thing can do something similar as well, right? It's not that, it's not like she's one dimensional, in fact, She's arguably the most diverse player in the squad in terms of her on-possession game, which brings me to the next point. Yash, people were, were screaming, where's Maite? Where's Maite? She had a little bit of an abductor problem, so she couldn't play in the first three games. But we did get to see her start in the fourth one. What do you think of her performance? Yeah, I think, I think she was spectacular. Like, the, you know, coming back, uh, like I, I was expecting her to be uh, to see the dynamics between her totality and where about how how things would happen, but we didn't get to see that that often. But in, in the game that she played, like initially she uh, in the final game that she played, she started uh, as the as an advanced eight, which is which in my opinion is is the perfect position. If we can't put her in a ten, if we can't manifest that role, uh, playing as an advanced eight is great. So she was trying to do bits. She was receiving in in. On the half turn, she was receiving and turning away from challenges, and just you know, she has her way with the ball, like that very few players. So she was doing all her bits. Then later on, around the 30th minute, uh, because Zoranosa was playing as the deepest midfielder, and we know like she isn't as good as Maite in that role because she gets caught out in transition a lot and can't like, cover the ground uh, that well uh, in defensive situations. So then around the 30th minute, uh, Maite switched back. Uh, as the deepest midfielder and then operated from there, getting support from quality during build-up at times and sometimes Zoranosa dropping as well and Zoranosa then uh, flourished in that advanced role that she really likes to. So that is the thing, like she she played two roles in that first half and did well in both. She was always, she's, she always shows up for the ball, like 
wherever you need support, she's always there uh, being an option to receive the ball and to help team move forward. Her passing was her passing was good, uh, not as crisp as uh, you would expect from her. But yeah, it was it was like it was that slick passing that she gets on the first touch. She just shapes the body really well when receiving, and then just is able to uh, direct the ball the other other way uh, out of pressure. That's that's really nice. We got to see that as well. So yeah, I mean positive start. I hope uh, she can stay like injury free and we get to build because like you said, she she is arguably uh, one of our most diverse players in the in the squad. So yeah, we're definitely gonna be needing her. So I would say probably another storyline that really stood out to us was the minutes that the youth players got. I mentioned Paula Partido starting in the fourth game. Her, Carla Camacho, and Pichi were the three who really got the most minutes. Sofia Fuente was another who made her debut for Real Madrid in goal, but she saw a lot less time on the pitch. I guess I can hand this back to you, Yash, and then Grant, you can you can hop back on and say anything about about those players that you want to, but within this 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 kind of a small sample size, what did you think about our youngins and and how they managed to perform? If you can, which one of the the three of Paula, Paula, and, and Pichi kind of stood out to you the most? We regularly got to uh, see the two arguably like very highly touted and very highly rated Spanish youth internationals and in the academy as well, Paula Partido and Carla Camacho, two very good attacking talents that we have in our ranks. And we got to see what they can do. Like Paula Partido playing out wide uh, on the right flank, like she's always able to get to create those opportunities on the dribble and manage. Uh, she, she works really hard as well and she has the pace as well. But yeah, we saw the naivety as well when uh, in the fourth game when she started the game, our press didn't look that good. But that is something that will come with time after she has spent a lot. So the, I'm not blaming her for that. But we got to see what she can do on the ball. She she's good in one v one situations. She can beat you for pace, generate that space, and then cross the ball in to create some sort of a, uh, opportunity. And Carla Camacho is just the agent of chaos. I feel like she she is physically very uh, very strong. Even for her age, she is able to dominate other players and you know just create a ruckus in the box where like ball just falls somewhere and then she's able to get the shot off. She's always regularly, if she gets a slight opportunity, she's trying to get the shot off and that is what enables her to like score goals as well. So for her age category, she's like really good and both the players have been playing with the Spanish youth national team. So they are regulars as well. They are effective players that we are like looking forward to seeing more of in, in the future, in the near future. Now about the goalkeeper, like she Coming through the Spanish youth ranks, she is very highly rated. Like she is seen as the next best goalkeeper uh, for for the Spanish national team. We didn't get to see that as much with the senior side, and I think that will be difficult given Misa isn't as you know old or something. She she is still young, so we won't probably get to see her a lot. But she she is really talented. Like she has good reflexes, and she she has a good distribution as well that we can like work upon. And she is going to be a regular on, in the youth, youth sites as well. So she will regularly be getting minutes there. And yeah, I think I think she she is a really talented player that that is coming through our ranks. So if if something happens, if we need her, I think we have a very good goalie in our ranks that we can a modern goalkeeper that we can really build upon. Yeah, Carla Camacho was the one who stood out to me the most. 
I forget which game it was now, but I, I think you could say multiple. She had plenty of chances that she probably should have ended up converting, but you know how we are on this podcast, right? I want, you know, what's the long-term view? What's the repeatability aspect of it? And the fact that she was able to get into those situations with her runs in behind was really promising. Like she was able to form a synergy with players behind her really quick in terms of, okay, when do I make my run, you know, in sync with the pass and get in behind and find those opportunities. And yeah, like very kind of physically imposing in terms of her, her speed, the way she bangs into defenders and kind of, you know, sets them off her. It was good. It was good, bright stuff in preseason. This is part of the value of preseason is seeing young players really go out there and, and play 150%, try to prove themselves and, and hopefully kind of insert themselves into getting a shot in the first team later. I don't know if that's really going to happen, given, you know, Esther probably being a nail down starter, the fact that Naikari is still there and, and stuff like that. But I wouldn't be surprised if she gets some minutes, you know, here and there. And, and yeah, she looked good in preseason. Don't have too much more to add about what you said about Paula Partido. In terms of Peachy, it's a little bit of a tough one because she was playing center back when she came on. And we were not really tested defensively throughout these preseason games, right? We kind of would have expected it versus Real Sociedad, but for the reasons I already mentioned, that wasn't really the case. In fact, they mostly were not able to build out of their own half, really. And so everything was just kind of played there. But what I can say about Peachy is she looked really confident on the ball, like really caring for trying to break lines, attract pressure, play passes. I have no idea personally how that would scale into Primera Bertrola games. It's not like I watch the youth team much, but I would just say just in terms of that profile, in terms of that confidence and attitude on the ball, like very much feels like a Real Madrid defender, right? Those are the types, those are the profiles of defenders we like to have in the team. Think Ivana, think Sergio Ramos, think Rudiger, think Alaba, right? So yeah, I mean, that was, that was just a nice thing. That, that I enjoyed seeing. So one more topic I've planned, and then we can you know move to general notes. Mostly good vibes in this preseason, but I would say Muller and Spava took a decent bit of criticism. I mean, they, they tend to be the two who do, who, who generally lack some of the protection that the other players do. I don't know, Grant, how much you want to, how you have to say about this, but uh, in the two games you saw, what did you think of their performances? Yeah, I thought Muller especially was underwhelming, and I think it is tough for her too because you have like Feller and Athenea who are super direct going at players, taking them on, and Muller just kind of plays a different style, and I think you need to be set up in a specific way to kind of get her involved, dropping in. She doesn't have just that pace to get behind and that pace to blow by defenders like some of the other two. And I think when you're rotating these lineups so heavily, it's hard to have that kind of understanding with a player, especially with so many new midfielders. So I think that, you know, while the criticism may be not necessarily deserved, but like understandable, I think that if we're going to play Muller out wide, there needs to be more of a tactical game plan to make use of her unique skill set, which is different than our other wingers. Josh, what do you think about them? To be honest, uh, I don't know like what you guys think about it, but I don't really see Muller as a wide option. I don't know why we keep persisting 
playing her i know she two things that she is a white player but i think her skill set is more suited to a central role like grand mentioned she doesn't uh, really have the pace to blow away defenders she is skillful i'll give her that but one of her biggest strength is her uh, you know her off the ball movements her late runs into the box and her play with the back to her goal with the back to the goal so that is what we need to expect and that is where she is best at so positioning her wide and expecting her to like beat the players on the pace generate that space and get crosses in like the other two uh, wingers for us do it's it's just an unfair scale to judge her by so yeah i mean i i don't really see why we keep persisting playing her in those wide positions like if if we have to play her just play her centrally alongside uh, esther in a front to change something if you want to get the best of her but because otherwise i don't see i don't see how we are going to ever see what she we will ever, never be able to maximize her qualities i think as for sabava i i don't know like why people <laughs> are so harsh on her i don't know what they expect whether they expect her to get an assist or something or goal every game that's not going to happen i feel like she's she's a good player she she does uh, things really well she defends well good as well and moving forwards she has a great cross on her so yeah i mean i i don't really see much of the criticism she can can sarah improve yeah sure she can improve but i don't think like she she is the worst player uh, and the best thing about her is like if, if you play her there you can play olga up front and we'll we'll get to olga as well but that allows her olga to be even more explosive playing uh, even more attacking role where she like she can truly uh, express her her ball carrying she can, she can truly break lines with her ball carrying and that is what is really valuable to us so i don't know i, I don't really see sabava's criticism as much as others i think yeah with muller it comes back to the eternal debate where should she play and and most people at this point think it shouldn't be as a winger but when the player herself kind of a search that's where i want to play it becomes a little trickier i don't know how todel sees her exactly as a central option compared to the other players he has but yeah i thought first couple games it was underwhelming her best performance came versus slavia praha uh, where she ended up creating one of the goals powering off the dribble but i think it was more or less just kind of typical what you'd expect right not able to consistently generate separation but when she's able to get her footwork right and unsettle the defender she's able to get past them and and go right but i i think it just honestly limits a lot of what she offers and puts too much focus on the one versus one quality which isn't there enough of the time to make it worth it i think so i i would say nothing revolutionary there right it's what we kind of consistently see with muller in terms of sveva so she commits the foul in the box that leads to the penalty for osasuna and that was the first game and i think on top of her for whatever reason not being a fan favorite among some that kind of generated some of the criticism early on and then in the final game she ended up creating directly the the own goal through her cross and i think with muller and sveva i think it's about understanding like who they are as players and what they actually offer right and i think a lot of that is off ball especially with sveva where she's not olga right she's not going to take you know 30 people off the dribble power through opponents on the carry or play all these beautiful passes from deep right she doesn't have that level of offensive package but she's very good off ball she has a high quality cross and honestly in some aspects defensively is a little more mature than olga is right i mean as a 
as an option to have in the squad, I, I'm, I'm fine with it. Okay, now let's just move into our uh, final thoughts, little extra notes we missed on preseason as a whole. I'll start, and uh, Yash already mentioned it and already said we kind of get here. So let's go with Olga, who, look, at this point, just anytime she takes the pitch, she just looks really, really good. Something happened with those Champions League matches versus Barca, where her entire season turned around, right? Not just looking like the player we had seen in the previous season, but actually seeming like she had taken it up a level. And I don't know what it was about all of these super high pressure moments just seemed to like make her come alive again. And so far she hasn't looked back and she very cautiously, because again, this is preseason, but I feel like saying this because it links back to actual games that meant something last season and, and real big games. I feel like this could be the breakout gear for Olga, where she becomes a consistent game to game influencer, right? Not just promising young talent, who we all really like and say, okay, there, there could be big things, but I mean, game to game, actually making a real difference, like we'd expect the leading attacking player of Real Madrid to do. And whether that's at left back, left wing, doesn't matter too much to me. She does similar things offensively and she's able to get forward in both of them. I think in both positions, she's going to make that type of impact potentially. It's a hope as much as a prediction, but I, I don't see why not, right? I think she's approaching that point in her career where she's ready to go. Confidence is so high. And I think that's because she went through like really huge moments, right? Like, you know, a test of fire and came out, you know, basically unscathed. Like the teams might not have, but she came out looking really, really good. And because of that, I, I think she's like, well, I can take on the world now. So I mentioned really briefly in the, yeah, Yash is mentioning in the, in the Zoom chat that she's one of the captains as well now, right? Like, it's all coming together for, for her at the moment. I, when Real Madrid gave her the number seven shirt, there was a recognition that she could be a really important player. And that's just solidified since then. So I mentioned very briefly at the beginning of the podcast, I was at the Euros. And uh, the first game I saw was Spain-England. Hell of a game to watch. And it ended in tears, heartbreaking tears that you could see Olga on the big screen just you know sobbing. That wasn't pleasant. But what was awesome to see was just how incredible she was in that game, right? Like, it's one thing seeing it on the screen and then in the flesh, seeing that fire, seeing the aggression matched with the ability that she has. My God. And I think there are so many things that could be said about Spain, England, but the, the ability for Ona Batye and Olga to win their one versus one duels out wide consistently was huge to Spain looking like the better team for, for the majority of that game, right? So it's just big game after big game performed and performed and at this point like it's, it's not like oh it's not even like it's not like a surprise that she looked like one of the best players in preseason right I'm just raring to go to see what she can do in this new season with a proper preseason ahead of her hopefully like you know the nonsense of, of the start of last season behind and with a real platform to shine so if you guys have anything else to say about Olga you can I think I took most of it there but also anything else as well Home, I think you hit it there. I think we all know last year she came up as a big game player, but I think that she has the potential to be making those kind of big game impacts in every match, and it's been super exciting to see her develop, and hopefully this is the, the season where she takes that big leap of a step to become consistently one of the most important players on the team. So let's move on to the new signings, and... We will start with the big one, the one that we've been 
asking for for so long when she said that she had always dreamed of playing for Real Madrid, that Zidane was her idol. We were never going to let go, would we? And it, it seemed since then like it was destiny. Of course, I'm talking about Caroline Weir. Grant, let's hand it off to you. This is the player that you've been watching for a long time because Rose Lavelle, of course, used to play at Manchester City. How excited are you about this? What can she bring Real Madrid? And what did you see from her in preseason? I was so, 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 so excited. One of my favorite players signing for, you know, my favorite team. So it was a match made in heaven for me. And just the way she plays, I think, suits how this Real Madrid team has played as well. I think we've got we've gotten to see her a bit as a 10, a bit of her as a left-sided 8. And I think just her ability to cut open a defense with crossfield switches for through balls, her ability to press and win balls back in our own attacking third is crucial, and I think that was really, really displayed in the preseason. Another thing that I love is her ability to arrive in the box and score goals. Three goals, obviously, and a lot of them came from those late runs into the center of the box. We haven't even seen her score a worldie yet, which will probably come against Barcelona, judging by her time scoring those against Man United for Manchester City. But I think overall, I'm super excited about how she can partner with Esther. Obviously, we saw them pressing together. But I think Esther's kind of tendency to drop back and link up play is really going to be able to suit Caroline Weir, who's able to make those runs in behind and kind of have that um, dynamism between the two where Esther can drop deep, receive, play a through ball to Weir, or also the partnerships on the left. I just kept thinking about Olga, Athenea, and Caroline Weir kind of partnering on that left side. I think there's... I think that she really makes this team unpredictable and is able to unlock defenses. And her ability to do that is really going to benefit some of our better players like Esther, like Olga, like Athenea. There's so many things that that can be said about Weir. I keep it short because Grant covered most of it, but she can do everything in possession that you could want from a central midfielder, despite being best as an attacking eight, right? I mean, she links play, she can play back to goal. You can play every type of pass you want. And then on top of that, her movement is so good. And I think the movement is key, right? Because that's what makes her best in, in a role higher up pitch, right? Because if you can do everything in possession, there's a tendency both from the player and coach to say, okay, well, I want you deeper. I mean, that's kind of what happened with Maite, right? Under Osnar in the beginning, right? Is you're so good on the ball. Okay, why don't you dictate everything from deeper? And with Weir, the realization has been with her that, well, yeah, that's true. But if you play her in more of kind of a freer eight role, she can do that stuff, but then she's still allowed to get forward and time those movements in behind, time those movements between the lines to receive in higher positions where she can show her quality there. And the thing with the late runs into the box, that was the biggest thing she brought in preseason, right? And that, that's just the type of stuff that adds high offensive value, especially in a window where we lost players and brought in players, where really, it, unless players like Athenea Olga taking a huge jump in terms of their production, it kind of looks like we're in the same situation offensively, where we're over-reliant on Esther. Those types of runs from Blair are going to be huge if we're to increase our offensive potential from last season. And then on top of all of this, like she works her ass off offensively. 
it's my opinion. I don't think it's that controversial, but the best player in Real Madrid Feminino right now is Caroline Lear. Yash, you got any little things you want to add on? Caroline Lear is world class. Like that, that is that is what it is. That is how it is. Like she she's just world class. I guess you guys have covered and I would just be repeating those points, but yeah. She she's a world class midfielder. I, I think that was the sort of signing that we needed after Aslami's departure, and that is what we have got. So yeah, I mean I'm I'm stoked to see her. Like we got to see what she can do in preseason, and we are going to see a lot, lot more from her moving forwards. Uh, and yeah, I'm just waiting when she pulls those uh, you know golazos out in in one of the derbies for us and makes it a common theme moving forward, that would be like the cherry on top. So yeah, really stoked for us. So now we move on to my girl, Sandy Toledi. I, I mean, I was always really excited for Weir, but this is the one that like I'd been hoping for forever, and Yash probably even longer than me. And like I just didn't know if this was the type of signing that would happen, right? Because, look, in my opinion, she's one of the best box-to-box midfielders in the world, but she is not of the same caliber as we're in terms of the star power, right? I mean, look, not to give it too much attention, but the last preseason game involved people complaining about Paletti getting minutes over Maite or something. It was like, it was ridiculous, right? I mean, Paletti is an incredible player, but not necessarily recognized in the same way as others. And the second there were rumors, maybe in the middle of last season about it, like I got so gassed. I was like, I can't believe it, right? Like one of the most undervalued midfielders for Real Madrid to pick her up, right? Under the nose, the likes of, you know, Chelsea and so many other teams who could really use a profile like that is an incredible, incredible coup because really she should be at teams that are competing for titles right now, in my opinion. So as you can tell, I'm very high on Sammy Coletti and why? Because, and I think that's the thing with, I guess, all of our midfield options besides Zornoza is like the level of versatility and, you know, mobility they have is incredible. And it gives us so many options and Paletti is one of them, but let's say tilted a bit more to kind of like the physical intense side of things, right? So when Zornoza and, and Paletti played together, you know, Zornoza got to the point where she was taking up more of a deeper position in possession, conducting play, but Paletti was carrying a lot of that defensive responsibility as a box-to-box midfielder in a double pivot, right? And so she is a legitimate defensive force, although she's not necessarily like a six, right? You wouldn't consider her really as a screening presence, although she can play that role. She can play it, but I would say she's best when she has the freedom to go forward both defensively and and offensively, which is why I'd say her best role is like we're also as an interior, right? Like we saw with France at the Euros because her movement between the lines, her late runs into the box, her movement on the shoulder, all of that is top, top notch. And she has quality on the ball. Not quite like what you consider for a weird or where or Maite between the lines, but she is good on the ball and she's a very strong passer as well. So you have someone who's kind of another all round package, but adds a decisive defensive edge. Like that's <laughs> that's an invaluable package to to bring to Real Madrid, and I feel like this is a player that we really really needed, right? Because what was one of the debates we had last season? Well, 
should we start Kasi in the big games or not? And it was always a question of, of too many trade-offs, right? Kasi, yes, she was very good defensively. She was the most physical option we had in midfield, but a lot of liabilities on the ball. And at certain points, it got to be where it's like, yeah, I, I wouldn't have started her versus Barca, right? Because I actually think the defensive value of being able to retain versus the press was, was more. And for a team like Real Madrid, you know, unless your def- your def- your defensive ability is so great and so outlying good, you can't really have those trade offs. And with Toledi, we just remove those problems, right? We we're not going to go into big games and being like, oh, are we going to lose pressures? I mean, no. She just basically gives all of it to you with a higher defensive presence. So, Yash, I say it's my girl, but this is really your girl. What do you have to say about her? I mean, people don't realize that. Toletti was voted as the as the player of the tournament. She won the golden ball uh, at the under-17 level uh, at both the European Championship and the FIFA World Cup. People don't realize that she isn't like a late bloomer or something. Her talent was her talent was remarkable right from when she began. Injuries derailed her in between, like they really hampered her. She was out for a year or so, year and a half. And that really, that really took the limelight from her. But she was a star from the beginning. Like people knew this girl was like special. And uh, when when she like really started to blossom in Montpellier, people started to take note. Oh yeah, like the the golden girl of of around I think 2012 is back again, and she she is ready for that. So like you said, she she is an all round package. She started off as an attacking midfielder earlier, but now she is a proper box to box force, as you say. She was the reason the double pivot of uh, Zornos and Toletti properly worked for Levante. She was a major reason Zornos didn't get caught out in transition uh, when playing for Levante. So that is the thing. Like you play Zornos are deeper. Zornos is not a uh, deep playing playmaker or something. She'll get caught out in defensive situation, and we have seen that. The reason it didn't uh, happen in, in Levante was because of Toletti. Toletti covered everything and she provided such great coverage in on either ends. Like that's that's just remarkable. It, when when the rumors was began, like you mentioned, we discussed it and we were both really excited. And there is a reason for it because she, she is a player that can really, really take us to the next level in terms of offering security off the ball and offering value on the ball. So yeah, spectacular sign. Let's move on to Naomi Feller from Stadderem, a very highly projected player, but one that right now is more potential than like realized product right now. Yash, what do you think about her caught Real Madrid's eye and what do you expect from her this season? Yeah, so I think when, when the rumors first began, my worry was that we were seeing her as a central option because she was playing that role for start their aim so that that is the thing uh, if you just looked at her numbers like she she just scored like one or two goals last season so it isn't something very impressive to write home about but there was a reason for it because she was being played centrally and that is not her position she she is regarded as uh, a top talent in, in France as well. She has shown that at, at the youth levels. And her best comes playing wide, which we saw Real Madrid do. Like I was very happy when when in the first preseason game we saw her being named as the as the right wing option uh, 
uh, against Real Sociedad as well. So that was a really cool night because that is where we get to see her at her best. She she is a great one v one option. She she can beat you for pace. She has the pace. She has the uh, defensive acumen as well, where she can consistently drop back and help the fullback as well. We saw that. Uh, we saw her doing that in the game too. Uh, she was consistently helping the right back option in Kenti against Real Sociedad as well. Whenever they managed to get a front, she she is a really she works really hard. And she is uh, very good at creating those opportunities in uh, higher up the pitch by beating her man, by beating her marker. The thing that she lacks is her finishing. Like she won't always be able to convert chances. But I think that is not what you uh, what you demand of her. You demand of her to be able to create those opportunities for you, and you'll have someone else to put them away. So I think uh, I think this is a, a very good signing to. Uh, you know, it gives us an option to play Athene on the left with Naomi Feller playing on the right. It gives us an option to uh, potentially even rest Athene and play Olga on the left wing and have uh, Feller or bring her off the bench uh, in the dying minutes when the legs are gone. She can be this explosive presence and give us the edge in those dying minutes. So, uh, yeah, really, I think uh, this is a very shrewd signing. Don't expect like uh, some otherworldly numbers like she's gonna get uh, a double double of goals or assists, or she's gonna get like five goals and five assists. That probably won't happen. Her goal scoring still needs work. Her uh, finishing in front of the goal still needs work. But yeah, uh, she is very good at uh, what she does, which is uh, if we can create isolation for her in the wide area, she can get the best of her marker and she can create opportunities for us to score in the box, but with her crosses or with her cutbacks. Uh, she can run at the byline as well and that's where she's best at so it, it would be good to just take her out wide and uh, like like I mentioned before her defensive workload is really good so given the thing that we have seen about our, our high press era in the preseason I think that works really well because she can contribute to that, that as well so yeah I mean it's a shrewd signing I would say. I don't have too much to add to that in preseason I think a lot of the focus was on kind of her physical ability, her her pace, her strength on the ball, her one versus one ability. And, and all of that was promising, but what really stood out to me was I thought her movement coming inside between the lines was quite clever. I thought the timing of it was spot on, which surprised me because to be able to do that, like in the in literally the first game that we saw was, was something. And I, I thought she formed a bright early synergy with Tere and, and Zornoza versus Asasuna and was actually her coming inside with Tere finding her that, that actually led to that first goal, right? With we're crashing the box late. And that kind of made me sit up a little bit because I like attacking options that are able to provide you with a wide range of things. Sure, right? They'll have a core part to their game, but it just makes things easier on the team, on the coach, on the options that you have if they can do things like come inside and, you know, provide different looks and possession and, you know, feed options across the field, link play a little bit. I don't, she doesn't strike me as well. That is like the, her bread and butter thing. But when you kind of mentioned that she played central Yash before she came to Real Madrid, I, I mean, I can see it. Like I can see her having some of those instincts, but again, right. It's, it's about probably looking at a player and saying, well, they might be able to do something. So where are they best? And I think, Probably what you were saying where 
having her play wide where then she can then come inside and offer those things when she wants is probably best than, I don't know, playing as, her, as an attacking midfielder at a center board or something. But oh, that's something that really stood out to me. And, and I'm gonna, definitely going to be looking for that in the regular season games to see, well, when is that popping up for us? And what is the effect of that? Because that was something Cardona did consistently that added another element to our possession game. And when she was injured, it was just gone, right? There was no one else really providing that. And so I'd love to have a little bit of that back in, even though it's probably not going to be at, at Cardona's level, at least to start. So the final signing, Kathleen Sousa from Inter, the most controversial signing, I think it's fair to say, coming in at center back as the replacement for Bobet Peter. And a lot of charisma straight off the bat. It's clear she, she's glad to be here, wants to be here, is having fun with the gals. And having fun on the pitch too, really confident character on the ball. Like, again, kind of fits that profile of what a Real Madrid center back could be, but also taking a fair bit of risks, which showed up in, in our last game as well. Yash, why has she been a controversial signing and what is the actual level of player we have here? Oof, controversial. <laughs> I don't know about controversial. Uh, I think... I think she is a good quad signing. I don't think uh, like she improves us in any particular uh, department or save. Like she isn't a massive improvement in terms of ball playing or defensive side of things over either uh, Rocio or Ivana. So uh, I think I think people are high on it from whatever I, I was able to gather on uh, from from my Twitter timeline. I don't know what the general consensus is, but uh, yeah, I, I don't think like she is a massive improvement. She she is good on the ball. She has got the range. We got to see some of those moments where she brought the ball out under pressure. She turned away from pressure to uh, you know uh, to get into space and then drive up the ball or just distribute it. We got to see some of that, but we also got to see how uh, she could be shaky when under pressure. Like she. I think a lot of times she gets caught in two minds about what she wants to do. She sees the pressure coming in, she sees the runner uh, approaching her and then she's like, she'll turn inside and then she'll try to turn outside and by that time the runner has closed in on her and probably got a touch and the ball is away. So I think that's that's a risk that uh, we are taking. And I think we signed her a year too late. I think we were we have been interested in her for a couple of seasons now, even when she was at Bordeaux. So we signed her a couple of years late. But uh, yeah, she can fill in at right back as well, which I don't think will be needed given we have two proper right back options already. But yeah, I mean, I'm not uh, particularly very high on that signing. He's a good squad player, like I mentioned. She'll provide us with options to uh, rotate, but. Uh, not necessarily something that is going to take us to the very next level. She's she, if if I, if I talk about how how she defends and stuff, like she's a physical uh, physically imposing figure. Uh, we got to see some of that in the preseason as well. She likes to uh, stick tight to a marker. She tries to overpower them with her physical uh, ability, and she's good in the air. I'll, I'll give her that. She she is tall. She is good in the air manages to win a lot of her area duels, so that adds to her threat in the opposition box on her attacking set pieces as well and we saw that uh, with the goal she scored uh, in the first game so yeah i mean decent signing not a signing that 
really elevates us but provides us depth in a position that that needed it i i would say so yeah and i'm i'm not i won't say a controversial signing but i won't say like a signing that makes you really elevates anything like really makes you a great team or something but uh, a decent signing yash's timeline is like way cleaner than mine doesn't seem to see the criticism of Sveva, doesn't see the controversy around Sousa. Let's just swap timelines for a bit. I mean, there, there was plenty of talk. I mean, because we've been linked to her for a while, as you said, and as the transfer came to, to basically be a reality, plenty of people who were looking at her performances, you know, right before she came in, right with the international team and stuff, were like, well, is this the level of a player we should be signing, blah, blah, blah. And then... You know, there was some discourse around, you know, Susa kissing the badge and, you know, people getting really like infatuated with that. And then, you know, some <laughs> some barbs about it's about quality. It's not about whether they love the team, et cetera, et cetera. You know, usual Twitter stuff. I think there just right now seems to be a little bit of, you know, uncertainty and debate about who is it actually we have as a player? What is her quality? And, and will she be good enough for Real Madrid? And I, I think I kind of settle where you are in terms of, I think this is just a lateral move, right? I, I don't think the defense has taken a step forward with Bob's gone and Sousa in. I think we're basically in the same situation where, where we were in last season, although they're, they're kind of two different players, right? Sousa with a lot more sauce on the ball, but Bob's being just a more solid defender all around. Um, I guess the only thing I'll add is like in terms of one versus ones, and, and probably that's because of her size, she can get turned a bit easily. She can get a little clumsy. And I think that's probably why she does try to be aggressive and use her physicality in the challenges to try to close the distance and dominate the duel quickly. But, you know, versus agile players, it can be a little tough for her. So we'll see. But ultimately, I think most people are going to settle on the idea. Well, you know, she's good in some cases, has flaws in others, and she's just she's a solid squad option to have. All right. So now we move on to less pleasant stuff, I have to say. The first thing we obviously cannot skip is uh, August 9th, and El Confidencial report by Kike Marin comes out, basically saying that Ariana Arias has alleged workplace harassment and uh, abuse of power at Real Madrid Femenino. And we don't need to recount it at this point because we've reported on it extensively, but this comes on top of you know multiple things that have accumulated over the years, which prompted me not so long ago to write about how we need to sort the situation out and do a thorough investigation, you know, like talking about maybe we're not taking the women's team as seriously as we need to, et cetera, et cetera. What makes this one a little bit more complicated is that this is reported by Kike Marin. And anyone who has paid attention to his reporting over the years will find that it's curiously almost solely about Real Madrid. And basically every single thing he posts is negative. Now, this is not me coming out and saying, well, you know, just dismiss the entire story, right? Because the key part of this that made it even worth reporting on in the first place was that it includes some quotes from Adi's family. But if you go and read the article, it's in classic Kike Marin style, which is there's something there that is truthful, but just leverage to make whatever points he wants to be making. And there's so much opinions and claims from the author himself that you need to be careful about. And basically when you're reading through it, we'll, we'll put the links to everything in the show notes, but probably already saw it on Managing Madrid because we posted about it. Take that with a grain of salt 
right? Because there's a lot there. And, and he writes in a very slippery way that, that I have a great distaste for, especially when I have to report it on it. It becomes really difficult for me because how do I kind of parse through this and give people like, you know, the most accurate information I can kind of glean from this. But, you know, he says stuff like, you know, at the end of the article that it, it's an open secret that the head of the Department of Integrity and Security, Alfredo Lorenzo, has a close relationship with Ana Rosel, which is like, okay, maybe it is, right? But you're just saying that as if it's a fact and using that to back up everything you're saying. So I would go in there and kind of just really laser in on the quotes. That's kind of the important thing here. The issue is it's not quite extensive. And so ultimately I'm left kind of wondering what all of this was truly about. Because when you really read through it, you realize how unclear it is. What is clear is that Adi filed a complaint internally with the club, something to do with workplace harassment and abuse of power. And Real Madrid didn't really react to her, dismissed it. And that possibly contributed to her leaving. And her family specifically said that we're very proud to belong to this club, but with all the pain that this entails, we would like Real Madrid to investigate and carry out all the appropriate procedures and take the measures related to the workplace harassment protocol as soon as possible, right? That's kind of the key thing here. As to what that exactly is about, he says that Adi allegedly asserted that Madrid had meddled with one of her call-ups to the national team and that according to Marin, Madrid hit a national team selection from, from Adi and she only found out through social media. But in the context of her being dropped and the insinuation being there that Madrid pressured the national team into dropping her. And then kind of the other thing was that apparently, according to Marin, Adi had informed Bagonia Sanz, who is the deputy to the general director and theoretically the one with direct oversight of the women's team. So Adi apparently informed Sanz that Roselle had told her that those who had to play played, not the ones who are the best. And that as long as she is in charge, it will always be like this. I mean, we've confirmed in the past that Roselle has meddled with team selection, but as to whether that was directly relevant to this this allegation of workplace harassment, I don't know, and it's not clear. Um, so it seems like a lot of this re- revolves around meddling with the national team selection, but whether there's something more to that, whether there are additional details, again, very unclear, and I don't have too much hope that that we're going to get more, right? So we have that, right? We have the stuff that Marine said in regard to those things, and then we have the quote from, from Adi's family, and then a pretty weird section where Marine kind of splices in some quotes from the family saying the player's psychological situation was worrying and that this should all be resolved so it's possible to avoid harming other players for the exposed reasons. But then in the phrase situación psicológica, which obviously this article is in Spanish, right? There's a hyperlink on those two words, which leads to a piece about the psychological challenges that COVID-19 presents. So I have no idea what that has to do with peace at hand, why it's hyperlinked there and how to take that, right? But this is what I'm talking about when it comes to the writing. And you know, I'm not usually like this. Like I've been very blunt and clear about what I think about the situation at Real Madrid, you know, the repeated pattern of you know negligence and, and et cetera that we've seen and criticize it pretty harshly. And it seems pretty clear that we have another situation kind of in this area, right? Of another player having some issue with the club, but there's such a lack of clarity over so many key details because the way this article 
is written and sourced or lack of sourcing and the claims being made is bizarre. So, yeah, I mean, I guess in terms of the final thing I'll say about this is the, the reason, you know, Marine mentions the open secret between the, the head of the Department of Integrity and Security Alfredo Lorenzo and Ana Rosell is because theoretically Adi's family could report this case to the RFEF because, you know, it didn't get resolved at Real Madrid or didn't get resolved in their favor. But Marine is saying they didn't do so because, you know, Rosell has contacts with the RFEF and it wouldn't favor her there, right? So in a sense, it's straightforward, right? Like a complaint was lodged. She had issues with the team and Real Madrid said, you know, we don't agree with you. You can leave. And that's why she supposedly went to Barcelona, among other things. Um, in addition to like the B team not being promoted, right? This is actually just better for her career, but this seems to probably have been involved with it. But yeah, but the, the report is not great. And I would love it if someone else besides Kike Marin could come out with something that would really help me understand everything it has to do here. But however way you kind of slice it and phrase it, not a good look for Real Madrid once again. And I think the kind of mountain of evidence piling up that, you know, all of this kind of surrounds Roselle and her management of the team. It's a bit confusing, honestly, how she's how she's still there when others below her have been purged and removed. I don't know how much either of you have to say about this. It's fine if you don't, because it was a short article and I've covered everything, but uh, I'll just give either of you a chance if you want to pop in and say something. If not, we can move on. Yeah, like you said, the, um, the reporting is confusing, but I think those quotes are something that you can't overlook, and it's clear that there's kind of been a pattern of mismanagement with Roselle and we just have to keep asking those questions because it seems like they're able to get away with just about everything right now but hopefully somehow some way people will get to the bottom of this and continue to ask the questions because I mean there's only so many reports where you can try and push it under the table I think that there's clearly something going on with Roselle and it's not all that good, and we need to get to the bottom of it because we can't, I mean, this is just not okay, and we shouldn't be having workplace harassment. Okay, so that's that, and uh, we move on to the league nonsense that's been happening, and look, I'll just say up front, this has been extremely confusing to, to track. It's like Kike Marin was in charge of like constructing the entire narrative of everything that's happened so far. And I'm going to try to give you sort of a chronological order, a little bit of the reporting on it and what's, being ha- what's been happening. No doubt, though, I will have missed some details here or there. The major thing I want you to take away, though, is kind of the power struggle between the RFEF and the LPFF over the, the new league, right? Because it's supposed to no longer be under the purview of the RFEF, but they're also still involved in some ways legally that they might have, you know, Ultimately, it's, it's basically a struggle between those two entities with the CSD, which is you know, directly kind of like the Spanish government side uh, of this, like mediating between them. And that being the heart of why everything has been so messed up until this point. July 26th is when David Manayo posts an article on Marca detailing a little bit about what's going on with the situation. and. Basically, with the draw for the calendar for the actual league, right? So when all the matches are going to be, who's playing who, both the RFEF and the LPFF 
with the RFEF being the Royal Football Federation, right? The organization that we all love and the LPFF being the organization that's supposed to head this new league that is now fully professional and no longer really controlled by the RFEF, right? So basically both of these organizations have been trying to hold their own draws for the calendar repeatedly, right? Essentially being, being the ones who decide when the competition is played and even that it's going to be played, right? It's an extremely powerful thing to do. And essentially, you know, the RFEF was, was kind of arguing, well, the men's professional football draw is held at our headquarters. And the LPFF said, well, that happens, but only because we allow it. And we don't want it to be the same way with, with the women's league, right? And so going so far back as like July 16th, you know, the RFEF announced that they would hold their own draw. The LPFF said, no, you can't do it. We're going to hold our own draw. And the CSD has kind of had to intervene and say that, look, none of you are doing draws until we actually come to an agreement. And, you know, we're perplexed and concerned, blah, 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 all of that. And it's just been a frustrating battle since then, basically, right? And so this is, this is all the way back in July. And then in August 5th, Micah Jimenez posts like this thread kind of detailing where we are in this situation, which is that we're, we, we hadn't got really far at all. And basically that the RFEF and the LPFF continuing to like, you know, announce that they were holding their calendar draws and the CSD coming in and suspending both and trying to force them essentially to come to an agreement, basically. There was also the question over the non status of non-EU players, which as far as I'm aware, there is a slot for two non-EU players with, according to ISA, who told me this today, the LPFF was asking for 12 slots for non-EU players and the RFEF was asking for zero, which I don't even know if I read that correctly. Maybe she mistyped, but I asked her again and she said yes. And so that just sounds insane to me, but okay. Those were the two requests from the two sides. We've settled on two. And now the question is, I think, with the unions coming in and saying, well, can we get to three and can that be the number going forward? So that's also been happening on the side and trying to be sorted out between them. And then there's the question of our favorite topic. What the fuck is the television right situation going to be? And so far we have absolutely nothing. There's been no progress. And uh, yeah, so it's, it, it had been, it had been and has been a shit show up until, uh, up, up until today. And so August 9th is when, everything kind of started to go down. That was when the article on Adi came out. And that's also when the RFEF released a statement saying that, you know, basically the LPFF's decision to, to hold a draw and, you know, or, or sorry, like approve like the competition rules, saying that the LPFF doing this by themselves was like basically like legally incorrect. They were not allowed to do this. and. I don't know who is right here because it's a purely legal argument in this sense, you know, under the fact that this is generally a power struggle between the two. Um, but the LPFF responds and says, yeah, that's not the case. This is under our purview. So like this, the continuation of the same sort of stuff, but all of this basically happening on the morning of August 9th, me waking up and trying to like sift through this and wondering what the hell is going on. 
but basically a continuation from what we've seen in July and probably earlier than that. Also on August 9th, because why, why shouldn't everything happen on August 9th? Plaza Foot Femme, women's football Twitter account, Spanish women's football Twitter account, of course. Apparently they had an interview with Pisco, a player from Granadilla, and that player was asked, are you going to go on strike if this continues, right? And there had been previous comments, you know, from union representatives and stuff like that. Look, if this goes on and we can't solve this internally, we might go on strike. And when Pisco has asked this, she said, well, why don't you ask the players from, you know, the, basically the Spanish national team players, why don't you ask them? And that caused a shitstorm because people took it as, oh, well, you're putting this on, you know, like the likes of Alexia, et cetera. And, that's not how I took it. I, I think it was more of a point about how there needs to be total solidarity, including with the top, top level players, because they're the most important if there's an idea of a strike. Because if you don't have, you know, Barca players, rounder players, Atleti players joining in, you know, the strike is going to be completely pointless, right? For it to be tactically sound, everyone has to be involved. And yeah, I mean, that just tells you the kind of situation we were in until that point. Apparently, like the CSD's like response, all of this to come in was that, you know, the LPF and, F and the RFEF have to agree on how, where and when this competition, be, uh, when the league draw will happen. Right. So like they have to find an agreement. And at this point, the, the league was going to start in a month and like everyone is freaking out, like what is going to happen? And then August 12th, we actually do get the league fixtures announced. So it looks like they were all able to come to an agreement. and. Everything went smoothly there from now on, right? Wrong. The first draw was actually incorrect. I think the RFEF mixed up match day six and nine or something like that. And so it was incorrect. And then they had to redo it. And then we finally got our draw, our 30 match day draw. And now we know who Madrid is going to play. On September 11th, we face off against Villarreal. And that is the beginning of Primera Bordola. So in a sense, we have resolved one thing. But the TV rights are still up in the air. We still don't have a proper agreement on the issue of non-EU players. And I'm sure there's a bunch of other nonsense that I haven't managed to clock that's going on. You know, boys, just another normal month, month and a half in, in the life of, of, of being a Primera Bedrola football fan. I won't even ask whether you guys want to add anything to that because I'll just spare you. Um, maybe you can at the end. But... I tried my best in trying to sum up and inform you guys on kind of the general flow of events up until this point, what has been resolved and what still needs to be resolved. If there's anything else, to, I mean, you're going to have to look at my Twitter, look at the usual suspects, and we'll try to keep you updated on, on things that are happening. So that's the annoying stuff out of the way. To end on a bit of a lighter note, like we have complained for a long time about the Real Madrid website the information given to us, the social media, some of these things, it does look like they're improving. We all know that Barbara Quesada of El Patio is now the full-time Real Madrid community manager, as they say. And the Twitter game has stepped up when it comes to the graphics, when it comes to, I guess, general information given to us. It's, it's mostly timely. You know, it looks like a more professional account. We're getting more media. But what I just kind of noticed recently because I, I don't often scroll down because I usually find where I need to find immediately. But when you go to the Real Madrid website, you go to the women's section portion. I mean, I think the site in general has been revamped, but that has meant good things for the women's portion of the site where 
it just looks nicer. There's a lot more media. As you scroll down, you see photos from all the recent games. But most importantly, and maybe they should place this higher up, you get to a little section where they show the lineup in kind of like a box, right? And you can click arrows left and right so you can go to more players. And as you hover over the image, it says, buy the kit. And lo and behold, if you click it, it just directly takes you to the Real Madrid store and it says, here are Esther Gonzalez jerseys, right? No writing in the name yourself, all of that. I haven't checked what sizes are available. We'll have to see. And I haven't checked like the restrictions on like geography, but I just saw that as I was making sure I had all my notes for this podcast. And that was very pleasant to see. It only took, you know, two, three years <laughs> for that to happen, but that is good to see. All right, guys. I know Yash has a little something he wants to say, but before we get there, anything else we have to talk about in terms of really anything I said about the league um, or, you know, preseason, anything, anything last things you want to kind of get out, get out there before we uh, transition to the end of this podcast. Love the update to the website. You can get on the U S shop, the regular shop. You can get the women's team stuff. Next thing we need is the, the proper patches. If if we're gonna continue to improve, that's what I want na- next. But other than that, it's it's great to see. The only team I've bought from that does it properly is Sweden, and I purchased this way too late. It was like eight days before the Euros. I don't know what I thought was gonna happen, so I only got it when I came back. But I got the Aslani Sweden jersey because the Sweden jersey just looks sick. It had everything, all of the patches, you know, the men, all the men's sizes were there, like. It was so, so nice. Like, if we can get those, then we'll be complete. But, you know, like, they, we'll have to wait another, like, three years for that. Like, don't, don't get impatient, Grant. All right, Yash, you wanted to talk about our next opponent. Keep it to, like, two, three minutes. But what can you tell us about Sturm Graz? Yeah, so, I mean, our season basically properly begins with, with a game against them in our UWCL qualifiers. So I think like uh, there's not much to be taken out. I watched a couple of games of theirs uh, to just see what what sort of team they are. I mean, they play in the Austrian Bundesliga for the uninitiated. They are a very young team. Uh, most of the players are are Austrian players. There are a couple of like Croatian players and stuff, but uh, the team is mostly comprised of Croatian uh, Austrian players. So. There's not much. I think I think uh, we should be able to uh, win easily because they are also a very young side. Most of the players are like 23 or below, uh, and their star player is uh, is Annabel Shashin. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. If I'm not, I'm really sorry. Uh, but yeah, a 20 year old Austrian international attacking midfielder who can also fill in up front, scores a lot of goals. Was also voted as the player of the season. Uh, if, if I'm not wrong. So, uh, yeah, brilliant player, has a knack to get into the box and just score goals, technically gifted as well. Uh, and being 20, she also has earned her uh, senior debut last year and was named in the Euro squad for, for Austria as well. So, you can see that she has that projection, she has that level, so she is going to get there. But apart from that, I, I don't think uh, they should be a big trouble to us. Um, I mean, it should be an easy way because... Uh, they are also going through their preseason now, and uh, where we managed to beat Slavia Praha 4 0, they lost uh, 7 1 to them. 
recently. So, I mean, there's a clear uh, talent gap between our squad and their squad. They are fairly, fairly young squad. Yeah, I'm hoping we win. But yeah, here are just a couple of players that you can possibly take note of when we get to play against them. So Annabel Shashing, as I mentioned, a uh, great player, goal scorer. Uh, and she comes from the team that uh, has been a dominant force in Austria, SK St. Fulton. If I'm again pronouncing it wrong, I'm very sorry. Then another player that uh, really stood out to me was Andrea Glibo, uh, another midfielder that can play up front or out wide. Uh, good player, pretty good on the ball, comfortable on the ball. and. Uh, in in one v one situations as well. So yeah, I mean those are the two players that really stood out to me. Yeah, I think I think we should win. But if you wanted a little insight on what they do and how what players are important to them, this is it. Appreciate it, Yash. As always, I just remembered that probably we should have talked a little bit about the qualification process to get to the actual main Champions League. But we are running out of time a little bit. I will link a thread that Marina posted explaining, obviously, everything you need to know in the show notes if you're interested. Probably also will we'll like post an article about it or talk about it on, on the next podcast that we have. But yeah, like if you want the info, we'll be right there and you'll, you'll be able to find it. But we come to an end here. Another fairly long podcast, but I think this was expected given all the ground that we had to cover and uh, all the things that we had to talk about and that this is a, a season preview podcast. But I think we, we kind of powered through it rather efficiently. As always, gents, it's been a pleasure and we will be back soon because the season is getting underway and, and we're going to get back to regular schedule. So talk to you guys later in Ala Madrid. Ala Madrid. Madrid.